Section 43 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 2 by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. The doubts which, in my correspondence with him, I had ventured to state as to the justice and wisdom of the conduct of Great Britain towards the American colonies, while I at the same time requested that he would enable me to inform myself upon that momentous subject, he had altogether disregarded and had recently published a pamphlet entitled taxation no tyranny an answer to the resolutions and address of the american congress footnote this like his pamphlet on falklands islands was published without his name into footnote he had long before indulged most unfavourable sentiments of our fellow subjects in america for as early as seventeen sixty nine i was told by dr john campbell that he had said of them sir they are a race of convicts and ought to be thankful for anything we allow them short of hanging footnote convicts were sent to nine of the american settlements according to one estimate about two thousand had been for many years sent annually Dr. Lang, after comparing different estimates, concludes that the number sent might be about 50,000 altogether. Penny Cyclopedia, end footnote. Of this performance I avoided to talk with him, for I had now formed a clear and settled opinion. Footnote. This clear and settled opinion must have been formed in three days, and between Grantham and London for from that Lincolnshire town he had written to Temple on March the 18th. As to American affairs, I have really not studied the subject. It is too much for me, perhaps, or I am too indolent or frivolous. From the smattering which newspapers have given me, I have been of different minds several times. That I am a Tory, a lover of power in monarchy, and a discourager of much liberty in the people, I avow, but it is not clear to me that our colonies are completely our subjects. Letters of Boswell. Four years later, he wrote to Temple, I must candidly tell you that I think you should not puzzle yourself with political speculations more than I do. Neither of us is fit for that sort of mental labour. Ibid. See post September the twenty third, seventeen seventy seven, for a contest between Johnson and Boswell on this subject. End of footnote. Of this performance, I avoided to talk with him, for I had now formed a clear and settled opinion that the people of America were well warranted to resist a claim that their fellow subjects in the mother country should have the entire command of their fortunes by taxing them without their own consent and the extreme violence which it breathed appeared to me so unsuitable to the mildness of a christian philosopher and so directly opposite to the principles of peace which he had so beautifully recommended in his pamphlet concerning falklands islands that i was sorry to see him appear in so unfavourable a light besides i could not perceive in it that ability of argument or that felicity of expression for which he was upon other occasions so eminent. Positive assertion, sarcastical severity, and extravagant ridicule 
which he himself reprobated as a test of truth, were united in this rhapsody. That this pamphlet was written at the desire of those who were then in power, I have no doubt, and indeed he owned to me that it had been revised and curtailed by some of them. He told me that they had struck out one passage, which was to this effect, that the colonists could with no solidity argue from their not having been taxed while in their infancy that they should not now be taxed. We do not put a calf into the plough, we wait till he is an ox. He said, they struck it out either critically as too ludicrous or politically as too exasperating. I care not which. It was their business. If an architect says, I will build five stories, and the man who employs him says, I will have only three, the employer is to decide. Yes, sir, said I, in ordinary cases. But should it be so when the architect gives his skill and labour gratis? Unfavourable, as I am constrained to say my opinion of this pamphlet was, yet, since it was congenial with the sentiments of numbers at that time, and as everything relating to the writings of Dr. Johnson is of importance in literary history, I shall therefore insert some passages which were struck out. It does not appear why, either by himself or those who revised it. They appear printed in a few proof-leaves of it in my possession, marked with corrections in his own handwriting. I shall distinguish them by italics. In the paragraph where he says, The Americans were incited to resistance by European intelligence from men whom they thought their friends, but who are friends only to themselves, there followed italics, and made by their selfishness the enemies of their country, end italics. And the next paragraph ran thus. On the original contrivers of mischief, italics, rather than on those whom they have deluded, end italics, let an insulted nation pour out its vengeance. The paragraph which came next was in these words, italics, Unhappy is that country in which men can hope for advancement by favouring its enemies. The tranquillity of stable government is not always easily preserved against the machinations of single innovators. But what can be the hope of quiet when factions hostile to the legislature can be openly formed and openly avowed? End italics. After the paragraph which now concludes the pamphlet, there followed this, in which he certainly means the great Earl of Chatham, footnote, four years earlier he had also attacked him, end of footnote, and glances at a certain popular Lord Chancellor, footnote, Lord Camden, formerly Chief Justice Pratt, end of footnote, italics, if by the fortune of war they drive us utterly away, what they will do next can only be conjectured. If a new monarchy is erected, they will want a king. He who first takes into his hand the sceptre of America should have a name of good omen. William has been known both as a conqueror and deliverer, and perhaps England, however contemned, might yet supply them with another William. 
Whigs indeed are not willing to be governed, and it is possible that King William may be strongly inclined to guide their measures, but Whigs have been cheated like other mortals, and suffered their leader to become their tyrant under the name of their protector. What more they will receive from England, no man can tell. In their rudiments of empire they may want a chancellor. Then came this paragraph. Their numbers are at present not quite sufficient for the greatness which in some form of government or other is to rival the ancient monarchies, but by Dr. Franklin's rule of progression they will in a century and a quarter be more than equal to the inhabitants of Europe. Footnote. Our people, wrote Franklin in 1751 memoirs, must at least be doubled every twenty years. The population he reckoned at upwards of one million. Johnson referred to this rule also in the following passage. We are told that the continent of North America contains three millions, not of men merely, but of Whigs, of Whigs fierce for liberty and disdainful of dominion, that they multiply with the fecundity of their own rattlesnakes, so that every quarter of a century doubles their number. Works, volume 6, page 227. Burke, in his speech of conciliation with America a fortnight after Johnson's pamphlet appeared, said, Your children do not grow faster from infancy to manhood than they spread from families to communities and from villages to nations. Payne's Burke, end of footnote. When the Whigs of America are thus multiplied, let the princes of the earth tremble in their palaces. If they should continue to double and to double, their own hemisphere would not contain them. But let not our boldest oppugners of authority look forward with delight to this futurity of Whiggism. End italics. How it ended, I know not as it is cut off abruptly at the foot of the last of these proof pages. Footnote. Dr. T. Campbell records on April the 20th, 1775, diary, that Johnson said the first thing he would do would be to quarter the army on the cities, and if any refused free quarters, he would pull down that person's house, if it was joined to other houses, but would burn it if it stood alone. This and other schemes he proposed in the manuscript of Taxation, No Tyranny, but these, he said, the Ministry expunged. See post April 15, 1778, where, talking of the Americans, Johnson exclaimed he'd burn and destroy them. On June the 11th, 1781, Campbell records Ibid that Johnson said to him, Had we treated the Americans as we ought and as they deserved, we should have at once raised all their towns and let them enjoy their forests. Campbell justly describes this talk as wild rant. End of footnote. His pamphlets in support of the measures of administration were published on his own account, and he afterwards collected them into a volume with the title of Political Tracts by the author of the Rambler with this motto, Valito egregio quisquis sub principe credit servitium, 
nunquam libitas gratio extat quam sub rege pio. Claudianus. Footnote. He errs who deems obedience to a prince slavery. A happier freedom never reigns than with a pious monarch. Croker. This volume was published in 1776. The copy in the library of Pembroke College, Oxford, bears the inscription in Johnson's hand. To Sir Joshua Reynolds from the author. On the title page, Sir Joshua has written his own name. End of footnote. These pamphlets drew upon him numerous attacks. Footnote. R.B. Sheridan thought of joining in these attacks. In his life by Moore, fragments of his projected answer are given. He intended to attack Johnson on the side of his pension. One thought he buries three times. Such pamphlets, he writes, will be as trifling and insincere as the venal quit-rent of a birthday ode. This again appears as the easy quit-rent of refined panegyric, and yet again as the miserable quit-rent of an annual pamphlet. End of footnote. Against the common weapons of literary warfare he was hardened, but there were two instances of animadversion which I communicated to him, and from what I could judge, both from his silence and his looks, appeared to me to impress him much. One was a letter to Dr. Samuel Johnson occasioned by his late political publications. It appeared previous to his taxation, no tyranny, and was written by Dr. Joseph Towers. In that performance, Dr. Johnson was treated with the respect due to so eminent a man, while his conduct as a political writer was boldly and pointedly arraigned as inconsistent with the character of one who, if he didn't employ his pen upon politics, it might reasonably be expected should distinguish himself not by party violence and rancour, but by moderation and by wisdom. It concluded thus. I would, however, wish you to remember, should you again dress the public under the character of a political writer, that luxuriance of imagination or energy of language will ill compensate for the want of candour, of justice, and of truth. And I shall only add that, should I hereafter be imposed to read, as I heretofore have done, the most excellent of all your performances, The Rambler, the pleasure which I have been accustomed to find in it will be much diminished by the reflection that the writer of so moral, so elegant, and so valuable a work was capable of prostituting his talents in such productions as The False Alarm, The Thoughts on the Transactions Respecting Falklands Islands, and The Patriot. I am willing to do justice to the merit of Dr. Towers, of whom I will say that, although I abhor his Whiggish democratical notions and propensities, for I will not call them principles, I esteem him as an ingenious, knowing, and very convivial man. The other instance was a paragraph of a letter to me from my old and most intimate friend, the Reverend Mr. Temple, who wrote the character of Gray, which has had the honour to be adopted both by Mr. Mason and Dr. Johnson in their accounts of that poet. The words were, 
how can your great i will not say your pious but your moral friend support the barbarous measures of administration which they have not the face to ask even their infidel pensioner hume to defend footnote boswell wrote to temple on june the nineteenth seventeen seventy five yesterday i met mr hume at lord kames they joined in attacking dr johnson to an absurd pitch mr hume said he would give me half a crown for every page of his dictionary in which he could not find an absurdity if i would give him half a crown for every page in which he did not find one he talked so insolently really that i calmly determined to be at him so i repeated by way of telling that dr johnson could be touched the admirable passage in your letter how the ministry had set him to write in a way that they could not ask even their infidel pensioner hume to write when hume asked if it was from an american i said no it was from an english gentleman but a gentleman writes so said he in short davy was finely punished for his treatment of my revered friend and he deserved it richly both for his petulance to so great a character and for his talking so before me letters of boswell hume's pension was four hundred pounds he obtained it through lord hertford the english ambassador in paris under whom he had served as secretary to the embassy j h burton's hume end of footnote. however confident of the rectitude of his own mind johnson may have felt sincere uneasiness that his conduct should be erroneously imputed to unworthy motives by good men and that the influence of his valuable writings should on that account be in any degree obstructed or lessened footnote dr t campbell records on march the sixteenth of this year diary thrale asked dr johnson what sir joshua reynolds said of taxation no tyranny sir joshua quoth the doctor has not read it i suppose quoth thrale he has been very busy of late no says the doctor but i never look at his pictures so he won't read my writings he asked johnson if he had got miss reynolds opinion for it seems she is a politician as to that quoth the doctor it is no great matter for she could not tell after she had read it on which side of the question mr burke's speech was End of footnote. he complained to a right honourable friend footnote double g hamilton end of footnote, of distinguished talents and very elegant manners with whom he maintained a long intimacy and whose generosity towards him will afterwards appear that his pension having been given to him as a literary character he had been applied to by administration to write political pamphlets and he was even so much irritated that he declared his resolution to resign his pension his friend showed him the impropriety of such a measure and he afterwards expressed his gratitude and said he had received good advice to that friend he once signified a wish to have his pension secured to him for his life but he neither asked nor received from government any reward whatsoever for his political labours 
Footnote. Sixteen days after this pamphlet was published, Lord North, as Chancellor of the University of Oxford, proposed that the degree of Doctor in Civil Law should be conferred on Johnson. Perhaps the Chancellor in this was cheaply rewarding the service that had been done to the Minister. End of footnote. End of section 43.